1: Right, Doug, I think we're recording. I think you, yep, we're good to go. How's it going being on the other I'm side very, of the
2: country. Very good.
1: Thank you. Yeah, good. And I'm glad you're here. And when you sent me or your assistant, whoever sent me all your stuff, you know, like I was saying kind of before we started recording that, you know, I knew of tall poppy syndrome. Well, I, no, okay. No, I take that back. I knew what the definition of tall poppy syndrome What well, is? but I didn't know they actual actually named. It actually had an official name of what it was. So let's start this off kind of, you know, giving everyone a background of what tall poppy syndrome is, a definition, and then maybe a little bit brief about yourself, you know, your background and all that good stuff.
2: Yeah, I think it's good just to understand the metaphor. And then we'll go into my background and how I was tall poppied. And then my quest to understand the syndrome better. And how the simple concept really isn't as simple as as you think, and then how you can understand society and yourself better once you understand this, because it's emotional driven sure so the the basic metaphor um, the top of the tall poppy syndrome is seeing a field of poppies and seeing one taller than the other and wanting them. To cut that down so that all are equal that that's a basic concept that actually was described by Livy, the great Russian or Roman historian mm-hmm. and uh, and of course one of the best examples is Caesar himself being cut down, so it was described by Livy, but it was actually originally described by Herodotus the greek historian the father of history and in that case um he described the description was of wheat fields and cutting the heads off of the wheat right so i don't like that one as much but i really like the the roman interpretation one because rome was founded in 750 bc and it went through seven kingdoms And the last kingdom was Tarquin the Proud. And pride is gonna be very important. So we're gonna go back to that later on. But Tarquin uh, sent his son, Sextus, to the neighboring town to rule it, Gabi. And he was having a difficult time ruling the city. So he sent a messenger back to his dad on how to manage it. And his dad took the messenger to a field of poppies and lopped off the tall ones. Hmm. The messenger went back to Sextus and told him what happened. And he knew immediately that he had to cut down the opposing heads of the opposition within the city. And that was the true first description of the tall poppy syndrome by Livy in ancient Rome. And it helps to think of Julius Caesar is one of the people being tall poppied in ancient Greece, Uh, Socrates was tall poppied. So it started very early in Western civilization. So we can segue into um, my little life and then my journey after I felt that I was tall poppied or I was actually told I was tall poppied. Well, well, let's,
3: well,
1: let's stay with, hold on, the history real quick, because I have a question on that. Okay. You know, from my background that I did read up, it was, it started out in Rome. Well, what you just said, the exact story, in Rome. But it was also talked about being very common in New Zealand and Australia. And I don't know
2: if that was a part of a certain culture or what. Right. So, the in the English-speaking countries, uh, that's most common in australia and new zealand and the reason for that is that australia was founded as a penal colony for england and the culture of the penal colony are all people are equal and that's the culture within new england within australia today and anytime you have equal equity more than equality really any anytime, anytime people are equal There's more problems. So in the legal, if you're in prison and everybody's equal, if somebody has a phone and you don't have it, it drives the other prisoners crazy. Sure. And that's driven by the the emotion envy, the comparison envy. So you're comparing yourself to somebody else. Envy itself is broken into Two components. Aristotle was actually the first back in ancient Greece to define uh, envy and break it into good and bad. Good envy is if I see you and I covet something that you have, but I want to improve myself so that I'm equal to you. That that used to that used to be what America was about. Bad envy is for whatever reason. I don't feel I can do that. So instead of trying to improve myself, I wanna degrade you in one form or another. Active active degradation would be something to harm you or to key your car. Uh, Passive would be to do disparaging remarks to people. So envy, is the driving force of what I now call peer to peer tall poppy syndrome because the tall poppy syndrome occurs within peer groups, and th- that's why it's so prevalent in Australia because that's a culture of their society and New Zealand as well. Canada is not far back because it's also a very egalitarian country, and to a certain extent, before uh, London went. Over this transformational stage, you know, now London is one third outsiders or non-English people, mm-hmm. and so the country itself used to be uh, very egalitarian as well. Once you got rid of the kingdoms, just like um, Rome, because when the Tarquin the Great or the Proud eventually had to step down because of Bad things happening in his kingdom. It became a republic, and the republic started in 500 B.C. and would go, of course, till after Caesar was killed, and begin essentially at zero B.C. or A.D. But there, um, Caesar crossed the Rubicon, which became a famous time. And if you once you cross the Rubicon with with um, your troops. He got, was coming out of Gaul and that was against Roman law and that threw the country into civil war that's eventually led up to Caesar being cut down but back to uh, more present day um, the more equal the countries are theoretically the more tall poppy syndrome exists because as I mentioned it occurs really in peer-to-peer groups so if we look at egalitarian countries, it's going to be big in Holland, which Holland has a saying, the tall tree captures all the wind. Mm -hmm. And it's big in, in the Nordic or Scandinavian countries, because they are all very egalitarian, too. So the more equal you are, um, it's hard on people to see somebody advance, and especially if they feel they can't advance.
1: The, there's a UFC fighter who uh, – he's from New Zealand, and Israel Adesandra, I think, is his name. And he actually – the reason I asked about Australia New Zealand, I, I think what you're saying, it was very – I guess New Zealand culture's very – Equal, so to speak.
2: It's, it's similar to. Yeah.
1: Say. And like where he was from there, and he was actually getting an award or he was talking about something. He kind of made a thing about tall poppy syndrome and said, hey, let's all stop trying to cut each other down and actually help each other and stuff. And, you know, and he says, that's what I wanted to promote. So that's the reason. But I never knew New Zealand was like that or had that much, uh, I guess, envy in, in within them. Uh,
2: no, it's, uh, it's, it, in fact, I took a year to do research. We researched the world literature on the tall poppy syndrome and by far and away uh, New Zealand and Australia come up number one in research articles. I mean, they yeah. spend a lot of time uh, defining the problem and and how to solve solve the problem. So it's in the English speaking countries, it's most prevalent there. And if you want to know more about it. Uh, the scientific articles i mean when i looked at america there wasn't even a scientific article on it
1: correct that's when i was looking up things i I couldn't find much about america it was always either australia new Zealand. i think there was something small about japan too but i can't remember
2: well japan once again is a egalitarian It's it's completely egalitarian i'm trying to go to japan in a month and i'm telling you it's a big hassle that country is so rigid on everything else and wants to keep everything the same. Mm. You know, for, for a CEO in Japan to make over a million dollars is is an exception. Really? That's why, yeah, they, they they control everything. They want everybody equal, and so they they're saying is the tall nail gets pounded down. That's the Japanese saying. What's the benefit
1: of having an equal society? Like that is well,
2: there... I can't fi- I can't figure I don't know one I, I mean all the communist I mean the communistic countries are all equal right you have the proletariat and the bourgeoisie you have the upper class which is the ruling class and everybody else is equal and as far as I'm concerned that's really a form of bullying because the bullying is a little different from the um Paul Poppy syndrome, because the bullying usually involves people of one level picking on people of a lower level. Sure. It's a discrepancy between the two, and it's ongoing. I mean, the bully picks out somebody that they're going to bully, usually somebody lower than themselves that they can feel good about. It gives them more self-esteem, and they continue that over and over and over. That's not the case of the tall poppy syndrome. It's boom, I'm tall poppied and dumb. Done. done. So before we do too much, I'll just tell you about then the, the public tall poppy syndrome is more aligned with the metaphor. So the tall poppy syndrome through tall poppy involves a public figure, somebody that you and I couldn't cut down because we don't have the power sure. to cut them down. They actually cut themselves down. So the tall poppy in America is the CEO of a company. It's the media personalities. It's Hollywood. It's movie stars. It's uh, professional athletes. So in our society, that that is the tall poppy. Now, interestingly enough, they usually cut themselves down. And why do they cut themselves down? The number one emotion is pride, hubris, excessive pride. Once again, pride uh, can be good or bad. Um, pride of ownership is is good. That's we like that, but we don't like somebody that gets too big for their britches. So, pride well, is the number one reason for a company to fall, for a CEO to fall, for uh, an athlete to fall for. A- we can go into Chris Rock and Will Smith. In there, but, uh, <laughs> is it, is it but,
1: one of them things that if you get to the top of whatever your craft, the CEO, that it's almost so much stress of being at the top and holding that position You is one reason why you probably would cut yourself down, that you just can't handle it
3: anymore?
2: Well, the the Dutch, they, the tall wind captures, the tall tree captures all the wind. And that's really a wonderful metaphor because anytime you do start to stick out, there's gonna be people come at you from all sides. So look at Elon Musk. You can't get much taller than that guy right now. And everybody is coming at him from all sides. So the taller you get, it does expose you. But just like a Hollywood star or an athlete aging, uh, you do uh I actually have a saying for Hollywood. I, I act, therefore I am. Mm. Sooner or later, they think that because they can act, then they everybody knows who they are. Then they're an expert on the environment sure. and every other thing that's wrong with America. And There's so a that excessive pride that gets in their way.
1: There's another story related to what you're saying. And it was about Jordan Peterson was talking about it. And I forgot who he picked it up from, but it was about, you know, zebras being in a herd together where, you know, you don't think they really can be camouflaged themselves just because, you know, like to our eyes that we all know that, you know, it's a zebra there, but when you look down and you look up, you're trying to pick out a specific one. You can't really tell anymore, but there was, I can't remember if there was somebody uh, studying the zebras or what, but they went up and started marking them with red paint or like clipping their ear like they do with cows, and then lions were able to pick out like a single one. They couldn't, you know, take down a herd, but they could pick out the single one because they had some kind of mark on them and they stood out
3: more.
2: Yeah, I I mean, there's been a lot of studies on that. I think one of the pervasive feelings now is if you look at the wagon wheel and it looks like it's going in reverse Instead of going forward, you know, when when the horses are pulling it and you look at the wheel. And so it's that contrast of the different stripes uh, moving not in unison that uh, blinds the lion or tiger so that they can't estimate the speed. So that's just like the wagon wheel going backwards. If you look at it, if if you're as an adult, we know, but if you're a young kid and you see that wagon, for the first time and the wheel going backwards and you think the body was going forward it's very confusing to you mm. so I, I think that's one of the i, okay. I agree with the, i think the herd. hurt anytime you have a bigger mass that's a problem i mean even for an elephant if if all the people can hurt together that's going to be a bigger problem for them so i think mass is one but i think one of the things on the lions was was they can't get those stripes whether they're going forward backward or the exact speed for and sure. that's confusing to them for sure but anyway uh if we get back to the peers to the peer-to-peer which yep. was the most interesting to me so it listen it, it begins in your family when you grow up so your parents trying to keep Everybody equal. I I ha- was from a family of seven kids, and so my parents tried to spend the same amount of money on us, mm-hmm. same amount of clothes. Try and do you know same birthday party. We only got a birthday party when we were five and maybe ten or eleven or some set number. And the rest of the family, whoever did, they did that first. Then everybody else had to do that. Right. So it's and Cain and Abel, of course, in the Bible. doesn't take very long for the bible to describe familial envy so that occurs very early in our childhood and then of course when we get in the schools especially now in america we used to have the valedictorians and the people that stood out but the tendency now is everybody gets a trophy so the schools are trying to but some people say dumb down and make everybody equal
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and that that unfortunately is continuing now, even into our college. So we get into that uh, very early on and that kind of programs our thinking. But then when we get into uh, the workforce, uh, then, then the meritocracy kicks in. And anytime you have competition, you're gonna have the tall poppy syndrome because you're competing with somebody else to go up the next rung of the ladder. As you do that, um, if you don't think your CV is as good as the other person's, then you're going to resort the old fashioned way of trying to cut them down some way so that you improve your own chances. So that's the workplace where uh, the more meritocracy you have in your workplace, the more. um Paul poppy syndrome you'll see it. and I'm a physician and theoretically you know dentists and attorneys and physicians and pharmacists we're supposed to be so-called professionals but I guarantee you that it's more prevalent in the professionals than it is in society because our workplace is so intense you're with a high high bunch of overachievers and they're all competing. You compete for patients, you compete to be the fastest surgeon. Your whole life is you're competing to be smart and to be the most up-to-date physician in your area. So the competition is intense from getting into medical school in medical school and getting into your residency, into your practice and trying to stay alert and obtain Patience. Yeah.
1: I mean always. I could I can imagine that just, you know, from base, you know, everything that I've seen growing up and you know, going through uh, you know, my bachelor's and my master's degree that, you know, there's always those people, like you said, overachievers, and then you, especially when you go into the medical field that, oh, you gotta be the number one surgeon, you gotta be the number one at the top of your class, number one, number one, number one. Number one. But not only that, like, you know, when you talking about growing up, you know, I came from, you know, just a small family, but my parents did the same thing as far as equal everything, you know you know, equal clothes, but just in a different color. You know, we spent the same amount of money on you as we did your brother for Christmas. And I get it. You know, not understand that. You didn't want to show favoritism. I mean, there's even, you know, some lines to be drawn with that when coaching athletes, you know, you don't want to show one athlete more favoritism than the other. But I guess from my point is that, you know, when you start to outshine and learn that, you know, you're gifted in a certain way and coming up and that it's almost that you almost try to be more reserved in your skills and your mindset that you don't want to be you know, at the top of everything because you're almost afraid of, you know, being tall poppy, you know, and that, you know, you'd be cut down and you're, you don't want that, but I guess that stress on you or that burden on you that you're, even though that you're really good, you know, other people are coming for you and you have that target on your back.
2: Yeah, that does. It holds uh, men back, but I think it's more prevalent uh, in females. Really? Uh, Well, because they, they don't have, you know, the female is not as prideful as the male. They're not as aggressive. I mean, if you look in the entire animal kingdom, it's like that. I agree. So the female, uh, I call it compliant. I don't like the word passive, but they're more compliant and they're, they're not as aggressive. And, and the syndrome um, is is actually more prevalent in the female because they... They look at this whole thing a little differently. I'll tell you a study and why I think the way I do, and I, it's backed up by Canada, which we've already men- mentioned as being a um, egalitarian society. Um, Canada f- females actually put on there's a national program put on annually uh, for the tall poppy syndrome for women who have been tall poppied in the workplace, and this is a fascinating study. Uh, that comes from Australia, it has to do with bullying. And the study was set up to ask um, the best athletes in a school, male and female, if they had been bullied during their schooling. And none, zero of the boys said they had been bullied. Okay. And why do you think that is?
1: Just because, none of the boy's being bullied? I don't
3: know.
2: Well, don't you think that's part of our growing up? I was bullied. Everybody in my family was bullied growing up. It's not as sometimes it's bullied by your your older brother. Um, so, right. Sometimes, sometimes uh, I mean, uh, uh, I had to walk to school. There were always kids waiting for me to walk by and throw rocks at me when I went by. <laughs> so, so bullying is a big part of the male experience in growing up. There's, there's always bullies. It's, I mean, True. You're on peer, if you're on peer with somebody in your own grade, uh, there's still an upper level guy who has low self-esteem because he's not anybody in his class, but he's above you. And so he, the upperclassman's is going to pick on a lower classman. Once again, there's a discrepancy in power. Right, I agree. In the bullying situation much more than the so-called tall poppy syndrome. So, in the study, every female felt they were bullied, which is just a fascinating statement of our society, of their society, and the way men interpret things versus the same situation in women interpreting things. So. Well, it just shows you how uh, divergent we become as a society in America because, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the Blacks are going to interpret an experience one way because of race. Uh, Women are going to experience something uh, in a similar situation, maybe gender-based or feminism, and the male is going to, the white male is going to Uh, differentiate that in a completely different way which brings up a major point of how fluid the 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 true tall poppy is because um your tall poppy is not necessarily my tall poppy that's what i was thinking correct so well that became a big part of my book uh was was to find why to compartmentalize the tall poppy syndrome, because first of all, there's a difficulty in in saying who's the tall poppy. So certainly a figure like Donald Trump, he's going to be a tall poppy, I don't know, half the country, um, but certainly he's a short poppy to more than half the country. <laughs> so just to have to agree uh, on who, what a tall poppy is, which I eventually... Spent a third of the original draft of the book was spent trying to define what a tall poppy was. At at the conclusion of the book, uh, I felt the best way to be a tall poppy, and if you wanted to be recognized as a tall poppy, was to be a servant of mankind Mm. so that you you didn't have uh, gender issues, you didn't have. racial issues that you were trying to serve mankind. And if you were doing that somehow working, I mean, you can do that even as a postman. So if if you're the postman, and yeah, I mean, my postman, post, actually, she's a woman, she's a wonderful lady. She gives us first class ex, um, experience with Uh, regular postage. If we get a box, she doesn't want to leave it on the step so somebody else can pick it up. She knocks on our door, rings the doorbell to give us that box personally so nobody else can take it. And I know it's just not me. She does it for the whole neighborhood. So that's how you can be a servant even in society or, you know, if you're in a restaurant serving people, I mean, is to just treat people the way they should be treated that's that's servitude and you can do that from your podcast mm-hmm. or no matter what you do in life do, so do you, do you know if what the you're dark,
1: a, do you know what the I, dark sorry i didn't mean to, i don't want to cut you off but do you know what the dark triad is yeah yes yeah so those three elements i mean you know in discussing like who or might be a tall poppy do you think a person who is a tall poppy possesses those three traits
2: Well, repeat them for the audience. okay.
1: That's probably good. That's a good idea. So, for those who don't know what the dark triad is, is uh, you possess three traits, and are I guess can be argued dark, dark traits, but narcissism, psychopathy, and Machiavellianism.
2: And if you look at most tall poppies, so let's use Steve Steve Jobs as a case as an example because he he's a dark triad, and almost all our our, if you go back in our history to the robber barons, every one of them was a dark triad. Um, almost all our people in Silicon Valley were dark triads. So if we look at Steve Jobs, when he, in his first career, he tried to ste- cheat Wozniak out, out of his Apple shares. And he was very t- tough on people. And guess what? He got tall poppy. Now, the sociopathic personality or trait, you know, there's a difference in psychology when you have a trait versus the actual diagnosis. So a psychopath, we're not labeling Steve Jobs as a psychopath. No. We're saying he has a sociopathic personality. Most people grow out of that. Mm. So if you look at all the robber barons. Uh, every one of them grew out of it. You know, They Carnegie, what did he do with all his money? Gave it to libraries. So the Rockefeller Foundation set up the Rockefeller Foundation. So sooner or later, uh, they, they grow out of that. But those dark triad uh, traits, to a certain extent, help you become aggressive and overcome obstacles. Correct. And when you look at the, I think it's a good philosophical question, were the robber barons good or bad for America? I mean, they were bad people. They were monopolies. They were bad to all their workers. You know, they they created low wages and they busted unions and things. So they had a lot of negative traits. But I, I mean, Standard Oil and to put America on the top for production of oil, you have to give them a lot of credit. So I cut people a lot more slack than some of our president cancel culture. Because even if you look microscopically at me, you can find bad traits in everybody. But you have to hey, cast a wide net on how you interpret people's lives. So back to Steve Jobs, of course, he got cut down, right? He, 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 the board of directors kicked him out. And it was during that that he probably had a good growing phase when he developed the next two companies. And he came back to Apple and took it to great heights. So frequently the process, uh, we can go back to a second on the bowling. You know, the problem with the bowling behavior in the mail is that that becomes innate to them and they don't understand their behavior. They're not aware of it unless somebody calls them out. Right. So I agree. In Steve Jobs' case, for example, he, to a certain extent, got called out and he's a very insightful man. So whether it was just his age, um, as I say, you do grow out of the, many people do grow out of the social sociopathic situation whether it was age and growing out or introspected and, and starting two other companies, but he came back to Apple as a brand new guy and took it to great heights. So sometimes being tall poppied is, can be very, very good. In fact, when I was tall poppied, uh, it became a flash point in my life. And I did a lot of introspection and actually wrote the book. I spent, spent five to 10 years of my life uh, understanding the tall poppy syndrome. But of course, who grew the most out of that situation is not going to be any reader of my book, it's going to be me. So being tall poppy is not necessarily a bad thing that the thing of the tall poppy, as I was saying, uh, the peer to peer, it's usually the envier, the cutter, who is the person at fault. And that per the cutter is driven mostly by bad envy, mm-hmm. usually driven by anger, uh, as as we saw in um, the Chris Rock, Will Smith, Will Smith was angry, but he was also excessively prideful to think that he could even do that. And the last thing that we talk about or that I talk about is laziness. Some people just don't want to improve themselves. Uh, they want to be a victim, especially in America. The victim part is prevalent now. So. Uh, how do they win? They cut people down. So, on the cutter side, the three, the three main emotion, emotions involved are envy, bad envy, uh, anger, and then laziness. That's in in deference to the true tall poppy in the public situation, where it's the tall poppy themselves that are cutting de- themselves down. The public feels justified in cutting them down because of their bad behavior. Either they were prideful, which is the most common case and frequently blends in to the other. It's also greed and it's also lust. So if you look at almost every media person that was cut down from since the Me Too movement, all three of those were involved,
0: power. Pride, yeah,
2: lust, and greed. So the very common of the people the the tall poppies frequently cut themselves down um, through their own devices. Those are the three most common emotions involved. And then the public looks at them and thinks that they're they, that they're no ju- no longer justified to be tall poppies, and they need to be cut down to size. That's the syndrome. But the Amazing thing is, once you start understand, you can interpret. You can interpret China now trying to trying already cut down Hong Kong, and now they're cutting down Taiwan. So right. Russia's cutting down. It starts at the countries. So Russia's now trying to cut down Ukraine, and to a certain extent, Putin wants to cut down Zelensky because Zelensky, uh, we uh, Ukraine. It's been very, very um, politically not up to par. So a lot of corruption. So Zelensky was actually a, a rapid rising star in pro-democracy. And of course, that in itself was a huge threat to Putin. So on a personal level, Putin could have been very interested in cutting down Zelensky. So it starts at the country level. Can go to the person personal level and then of course we get down once again to to our peer-to-peer and in under so once you understand the syndrome and some of the emotions evolve then then you're able to interpret um the situation as you evaluate it just as you heard about that 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 um wrestler but you also have to be careful i mean <clears throat> Will Smith had a lot of people on his side, so there's a lot of bias in the observers. So during this process, you're actually learning more as much about yourself and your interpretation of all this as you are looking at what's happening. And if you were to look at some of the evaluations or reviews on on the book on Amazon, uh, the, the readers were very keen on pointing that out that they didn't read this book for the idea of of it being a self-help book. But as you understand the world, you understand your own self in respect to the world. So it's a self-help concept. Well you start to
1: look at, you know, how you've treated others and how, you know, I was, you know, and what you've done through your life path compared to uh, you know, someone else's life path. And, you know, seeing somebody get ahead of them or, you know, have a lot of fortune come to them, get a, you know, be one of the number one in their field, you know, it creates, you know, one of the, uh, what, you know, the bad envy, you know, even though you can easily use that and make the good envy and just like, you know, that what motive, that's what motivates me. You know, it's just like, Oh, I see somebody doing really good for themselves. You know, I don't want to play the victim card. I want that, you know, ooh, I'd love to see people do really good for themselves, but that bad envy, just it's so easy in today's times, like you were saying, for people to play that victim card like, oh, well, he's able to do that because, you know, he was born with, you know, money in his bank or he had rich parents or he was just automatically, you know, six foot six tall. And that's why he's a great basketball player, you know, and it's always easy to play that, you know, victim mentality when it's rather just. If somebody took all the amount of energy they're doing and trying to cut somebody down, or getting on Twitter just writing hateful comments at one person, if they turn that around and just put it towards, hey, I'm going to do something positive with my life and try to get onto that level rather than just cut somebody down. I mean, what does somebody get out of that? You know.
2: Well, I have to, I have to give you an A because you're already getting the concept and doing your own self evaluation, and most people don't even understand envy. That there's, I, I mean. I, th- I mean, I think love's the most important emotion, but I, th- I think the most prevalent emotion is is envy because it's always on. Every time you sure. look at somebody, um, that's envy. You're you're evaluating. It's subconscious. You may not necessarily be aware of it, but I, I mean, your whole contact experience with society is envy, and most people don't realize that it's good envy and bad envy. And I have to tell you, I from my own experience and what happened I mean I grew up as we were talking in a small farm town 400 people I did go to uh, Des Moines Iowa to high school in a all-boy school and there were 200 in my class while I was starting at the bottom so I figured out who was smart and I hung out with them to learn their good habits and I I did the same thing then in college and that got me into medical school my sophomore year I lived with two guys and both of them were in the within the top five of my medical school class. So I wanted to, I mean, you're not going to learn anything if you think you're going to improve your esteem by playing tennis with somebody that's worse than you are. You got to play somebody better than you are so that you can improve. So the whole concept is that's why we actually used to have statues before they tore all of them down was so that we would see heroes and people of high esteem so that we could understand who they were and try and mimic what they did or their good points so you're understanding the good the good envy which i didn't even understand i went through my whole life fortunately for the most part i think practicing good envy and then um understanding bad envy and if i hadn't written the book i would have not understood my own behavior. In fact, you know, I was getting cut down that I had to just like the bully guy that I mentioned. So I had to be cut down before I did any self um, evaluation. And lo and behold, I was happy that that uh, I had practiced so much good envy through my life and couldn't see the bad envy that other people were seeing in me when they cut me down. But hmm. Uh, that that's that's what I say. You under once you understand this, you'll understand yourself. And I agree exactly how you you've just made the statement of how you always wanted to improve yourself, and you admired people, and mm-hmm. and to think of cutting them down seems so foreign to you. And when you look, I mean the the uh, the internet and social media is. The purveyor is bad envy. I, I mean it's just exactly what you described. Yeah is people cutting other people down. It's it's an it's become the national pastime, just like the tall poppy syndrome is in Australia.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just it's something I had to learn, you know, through my life path. You know, I just sit and I was probably, if you go ask myself in high school, you know, fifteen, twenty years ago, whenever I was there, then you know what I was like in college, you know, I was probably one of those guys that call, you know, he was, you know, he only got to where he was just because of X, Y, and Z, you know, and it wasn't until I, you know, started to learn what, you know, taking hard work and, you know, t- sacrifices and, you know, taking, you know, the right path and hanging out with the right people, like you said, and learning like, okay, You know, this is just not, you know, just any, there are a little, maybe a little bit of luck too, but this, it's one of these things where you have to, have to work for what you get or what you want, you know, what you put into something I firmly believe is what you get out of it. And, you know, you, you start to reevaluate things and start to you know, especially COVID helped me out too. It's just like, you know, I always think we live on momentum and we stop and I could real, you know, take reflex and like, Ooh, where, where am I at? Have I met my life goals? Is this where I plan on my life being go- or wanting to go? And you just spin it around. I mean, who want you know, plus I don't like being a negative person, you know, and you know, I want, like you said, like love is a great emotion. And I agree hundred percent with that. You know, if you have hate in your heart and your head, I mean, what kind of life is that just hating on people all the time? I mean, it's no fun to live your life like that.
2: Well, and the worst part, uh, you're going to drift towards other people that think like that. And I, then that, 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 when that happens, your history. And,
1: and one thing Roosevelt said, I can't remember when I heard this quote and you probably heard it too, but you know, they said comparisons a thief of joy. And once I learned that, you know, comparing myself to others and, you know, you know, why am I not this way? Why didn't I get the, the promotion? Why didn't I get the degree? Whatever you want to say that it was like, Oh, you know, you know, you gotta, you know, live your own life, dude. And, find out what's working out for you. And just because you're comparing yourself to this person, they may did a couple of things differently and worked harder for you or worked for them. Uh, that worked for them. Maybe it's going to not work for you, but you need to do things this way, you know? And like, and also one of those things that you, you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. You know? Yeah, it's like,
2: it's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the one I like. And that's, that's what you, when things aren't right, the first thing you I mean you have to self-reflect, and in that self-reflection is the group that you're hanging out with, sure that that, that becomes part of the reflection. but um, even even when you're describing what you just described the the whole thing of uh, self-reflection, it's very when you're in a fight and you're having problems with people. It's very hard to judge. It's, it's just, as you say, you have to have COVID to step back out of everything. And then you can see things more clearly when you're in the heat of the fight. Like, I think that was part of Will Smith's problem was his hubris and his anger. And that was like, it was just driving him that he's got to do something. Yeah, And you know the, the, the thing he had to did, do was just don't do something, stand there. You know, and then if he had just done that, everything would have passed. And there's, a, there's another message. Uh, there's probably a lot of other messages in that, but one of the other messages is in that, which is the subject we're talking about, is revenge. And there's a saying, uh, if you seek revenge, dig two graves. And the meaning of that is that there's so much negativity that you're going to generate in order to get back at that individual who think that wronged you that you're going to be way worse off even even if you are able to achieve achieve what you perceive to be as some victory you will have lost because the negativity that you have generated is going to far outweigh anything that you gain and so that's a road that should never be taken no i agree 100% with
1: that and you know, just so everyone knows, and I know we kind of touched on it in the beginning or right there a little bit ago, but, you know, you were actually tall poppy. And I don't know if you actually explained your story of being tall poppy and if you want to do that.
2: You know. Well, it's of interest mostly, you know, uh, your shows about the hows and the what's and whys. And so I came from this small town and I eventually ended up in Los Angeles. I was a full professor of orthopedic, clinical orthopedics at USC, and had published over 110 scientific articles. And I was head of a spinal cord injury unit of one of the premier centers in the country based there in Downey, California, which is part of LA County. I was president of the America Spinal Injury Association at that time. And I'd run three other services at the rehabilitation center. And I, when I left one service, I always put a figurehead Chief in, and I became umbrella chief. So, in this particular hospital, which was 180 beds, I was umbrella chief of 150. And I had gone away to a meeting, um, and there was an Australian there, and we were cementing plans for me to spend a six week sabbatical in Australia to uh, visit six of their rehabilitation centers, their spinal cord injury units. And when I got back from that meeting, um there was a note on my door which was the premier office in our hospital that my office had been moved down from the premier office to a little cubby hole at the end of the hall <laughs> and I went home and told my wife what happened and at, at that at the time that it had happened who um I forget the name of the book, but it's Who Moved My Cheese or something about somebody's moved your cheese, you know, your cheese has been moved, so you've got to find a different path to find it to go through the maze. Yeah. So she said, Somebody's moved your cheese. And, you know, that turned on the light bulb right away. And she already she was not in the battle. So I would have gone back up for a pissing contest, gotten a big fight, tried to find out who did it to me, tried to get my office back, you know, done all these random. Dumb revenge driven things. And thanks to her, I, she said, You're just going to go back there tomorrow. You're going to resign and you're going to take Fridays off and we're going to enjoy LA. I, she was working as a nurse and she said she would take Fridays off and we'd see LA and enjoy our personal life. And then I could enjoy my other professional life, which was private practice. I was doing all, all this rehabilitation and all this. Uh, academic stuff on borrowed time. So it was a workaholic time and cheating really my private practice. So I never did enjoy my private practice. So it allowed me really to enjoy my wife in LA, and to enjoy my private practice. I called uh, Australia and I talked to this person. uh, And said I'm not coming there's been a change of plans and of course they were upset and why and I explained what happened and she said well you've been tall poppy and I said what and she go you've been tall poppy and I you know I couldn't get my head around that term sure, sure, sure. I said, I'm sorry I just can't understand this so she tried to explain it and I sort of got the idea but then I I practiced I did my private practice for 10 more years, and I kind of had this whole thing in my head the whole time. So then when I retired then I spent one year just in the library researching the tall poppy syndrome worldwide and found it in all all countries, all cultures from pretty much the beginning of time. It's rampant in the Bible, in fact, but anyway... Then I wrote the book. So for me, it was a life-changing event. It was a very positive thing. But that's, that's the story, and that's how the book was written. And for America itself, I originally thought that America was, was protected because there was nothing written about the tall poppy syndrome in the literature. Sure. And I thought, how can that be? So my premises of the book was that it was our individualism and the worship of the individual, just what you and I were talking about, of finding some individual that we worshipped and trying to emulate him. And in fact, when Einstein first came to America, Einstein, you know, was Jewish and had a lot of problems because of that. And uh, he was so smart, and he did uh, theoretical physics instead of empirical, and there's always a problem with the guy that's got to work out the formulas versus the guy who can just think of the formula. So if it, if there was a guy at 24 who knew bad envy, it was Albert Einstein. First time he came to America, uh, the first thing he remarked was uh, this is a country free of envy. And it's an unbelievable remark that somebody like him could make that just arriving at america and evaluating its people of course i think i can do that now because i've studied it so much but anyway that was my premise for the book and then once i came to the conclusion of the book i felt that america was was um the king of the tall poppy syndrome because as i broke it down we have more tall poppies than every any other country because of our capitalism and our meritocracy so we create the tall person that's capturing all the wind and nobody's perfect so if you there as i said unless you can serve people as sister as um sister Teresa did you know it's very hard to be a tall poppy and not offend somebody and we all have faults everybody has faults so there's room if you want to look you can find somebody's tall poppy and cut them have a reason to cut them down
3: yeah
2: so that uh i had to so i had to change the conclusion of the book but was it was because of our individualism and our meritocracy because of the competition that it was more prevalent here we had the true tall poppies and we had the victims and and our division in the country, and now, 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 it's hard to grow tall without being cut down. And within our peer group, it's hard. It's hard. To, I mean, if you're in that group of five you're talking about, which is frequently divided divided by the your social economic group, you're all making about the same. I mean, I'm probably not going to hang out with somebody that five guys that are have a hundred million in the bank for example even if i think i'm intellectually comparable to them i'm just not going to make it so even within your own group it's now politically to just be divided by some insignificant thing that doesn't even count that that uh, you cut each other down so we're in we're we need to understand the tall poppy syndrome ourselves emotionally and uh, act accordingly. Good envy.
1: Do you think that it's almost in today's society, you know, just talk about America and cancel culture and political or politics, that it's almost a game for certain groups to go after somebody to cancel them? Well, of
2: course. It, well, they can't do it. it. They can't do it. The. I mean, I like movements. I mean, nothing, nothing is given to people for nothing. I, I mean, that's why. You need good envy to emulate because the downtrodden don't understand that even short of people inheriting things, but most people have to earn their reputation or their money or do something. Nobody's giving stuff for nothing. And if you are part of the downtrodden, it is very hard to escape. And to a certain extent, the only way you can do that is with a movement of some sort, like feminism, uh, the Me Too movement, the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. So I like movements. I understand movements. I think movements are good for society. But unfortunately, it seems in America, we've gone too far. I don't want to say to the right because it's too far to the left or what, but we, we've gone too far on all this and we need to cut each other a break.
1: You think that's the future?
2: No, it'll run its course. I mean we if you look at our history, the 1900s were terrible uh, in that time during uh, the Industrial Revolution. The 30s were terrible. If you remember, we'd come through um, Uh, communism and our our first flirting with socialism and communism was happening in the 20s and 30s was really a terrible time to some extent and i lived through the 60s and we're not even close to what the 60s were with with the riots and the burning of cities and the taking Uh, over of universities and stuff so it runs about a Fifty to seventy-year course that we go through a turbulent time. So we're in one of those courses, and I think—I mean, I—I I, I do think we lack leadership. But if you look, look back through our presidents, we've had a lot of terrible presidents. I mean, we've we've never been blessed with great leadership. We have great leadership periodically, and that's enough to carry us through. It's enough to found our country. It's enough to have a president like Lincoln. Uh, so we're fortunate that that we do get somebody so stellar that they kind of help ride our ship. But I, my own personal feeling is we, we've we lacked some really good leadership recently, and, and that would probably help us quicker get out of our doldrums. But, I mean, I, we are in a phase, and we've been through this phase in this century at least two times before. Well, the previous century, we went through it twice at least, minimum. So, yeah, I think it's going to, it'll run us course. I mean, there's already a backlash. We want more law and order. I mean, yeah, we want more of the basic things of of uh, Jefferson, who I can say his name, the idealized individual. I mean, I, I really, that's my f- favorite person who his concept was, and we're certainly lacking that now. But I don't know how much time we have. I do want to, I do have one other hidden agenda which is to discuss uh, Schadenfreude. Do you know what that term is? Which Ah. is the end of the tall poppy syndrome.
1: Okay, let's go ahead.
2: So the Schadenfreude is an interesting concept. The Germans are interesting for a lot of reasons, but their vocabulary is very limited. So when they have a new idea, they take old words and add them together. So sometimes they have three, three words put together to describe a new meaning of life so schadenfreude is actually two german words put together and one is comes from joy and one comes from pain and so the concept of schadenfreude is having joy from somebody else's pain and of course that's the the tail end of the tall poppy syndrome when you've got somebody down and and their downfall is your joy or improve your own self-esteem, and that's part of the definition of bad envy. It's not necessarily coveting, just coveting somebody else's goods, but also destroying their happiness. So that Schadenfreude is um, actually feeling happy when somebody else is, uh, has had some sort of misery. And I can tell you, I, I track on Google. Uh, the hits of Schadenfreude daily and the hits of the tall poppy syndrome. And when when it came out that Trump had um, COVID, it was a, the most Schadenfreude hits on the internet that had ever happened. So that's another, it's also driven by bad envy. It's a kissing cousin to the tall poppy syndrome. And if you're enjoying but Chad and Freud these days, you probably need to do a little self-reflection because that that's not good. You want to have empathy for people, not laugh at them for falling down. I, I mean, there is a good Chad and Freud. For example, if you're driving down in L.A., one of our busiest freeways is 405. So if you're driving down the freeway, going to work, and it's stop and go, stop and go, there's always a jerk. We always associate them okay. usually in a sports car or something, you know, some fancy car weaving in and out, making you hit the brakes and stuff. And then, you know, you go down about five miles and there that it it is pulled over to the side of the road either by the highway patrol getting a ticket or uh, he's in a little fender bender and his fancy car is no longer so fancy. <laughs> so there you are, you're laughing. Yeah. So, so, uh, so I consider... That a good Schadenfreude, and if you have that happen, you'll go to work and have one of your best days at work. You'll just treat everybody with respect. And maybe make a million dollars that day. But if you remember all our cowboy movies, the guy in the black hat, and the guy in the white hat, and the white hat won, and the other guy was the bad guy, and the good guy triumphed. And in the old days, everybody left the movie theater with Schadenfreude. That's what made him happy. Mm. And the movie industry don't, didn't always know the, the word for it, but certainly somebody like Frank Capra, uh, if you understand any of Frank Capra's movies, you'll understand uh, Schadenfreude every every bit because every one of Frank Capra's movies, movies was the downtrodden or the weakened guy or the guy, the tall poppy that had been tall poppied Uh, wins out and every Frank Capra movie you're going to leave feeling like a million bucks
1: I just wrote that down as a note so I could check some of that out
2: yeah check it out well it's a wonderful life by Jimmy Stewart fantastic movie Jimmy Stewart's tall poppy by Mr. Potter Oh, just watch this movie for all your listeners if you want to see the tall poppy syndrome uh, from Hollywood And it comes out every Christmas. It's recycled. But look at it. It's The Wonderful Life with Jimmy. I know what you're
1: talking about. Every Christmas. Uh, Oh,
2: man, that thing thing is fantastic. It's fantastic for uh, being a tall poppy. It's fantastic for Mr. Potter, the opposite banker who was trying to bankrupt him and take over their firm. And it's fantastic for the ending is how everything turns out and how absolutely and its Christmas time, how how well it makes you feel. And, and of course, Dickens is the same way. And, and with uh, Little Tiny Tim at the end of A Christmas Carol. I mean, if you uh, read that at this time, and after you understand our discussion today, you'll have a new understanding of, of classical books. Uh, I mean, I talk a little bit now about, not now, but with the same thing, one of the, Things I've had people say, you know, your your whole talk is so, so negative. But you know, in medicine we we learn more from disease, not from health. So sure. you know, if you come in, if you come in feeling good, what, what why are you in here? How am I gonna help you? So that doesn't count. So if you come in sick, you know, I gotta figure it out. I gotta figure it out how I'm gonna help you. So I think you you do, I mean, there's 10,000 self help books published every year. Right? And one third of my original book was self help when I figured out that I couldn't write the self help book because if there's 10,000 every year, there's a lot of inspiration, but no no transformation. So I continued down the negative path. And then I came across Tolstoy's uh, Anachronia. And the opening of that book is. Um, all happy families are the same and all unhappy families are different. And that's the huge learning experience for all of the listeners as well is that not always do you learn. I mean, you want to see good people and emulate good people. But if you <clears throat> say, I'm going to analyze this good person, chances are that good person is going to be very similar to the next good person that you meet that their habits of getting up early, of working hard, of being positive, all those things are gonna be similar.
3: I agree.
2: So the happy person is good to to emulate, but the unhappy person is to is good to study and it's good to your own self-evaluation because probably you've got some negative traits hanging out between your ears. <laughs> and if uh, you read the tall poppy syndrome, those will be opened up to you and you'll improve yourself.
1: Doug, I think we should, we should take it home right there on that. So uh, if people want to find the book, if they want to find you, anything you want to plug, feel free to do that.
2: So the, the website is Doug, D-O-U-G, Garland, G-A-R-L-A-N-D, one word, uh, dot com. And the book's available. I actually have 10 articles. That, on the top right-hand side, there's all the things that are on my website. Actually, the website's fun to open up because you see this great peanut strip uh, described in 1959, July of 59, this peanut strip, when Schultz Charles Schultz described the tall poppy syndrome. Um, but on the upper right hand side, there's medium, which is my blog site. Most of my tweeting, I tweet about three or four articles a day. What I do, I still scan the English or the American magazines, newspapers, Time magazine, New York Times, LA Times, and I look for examples of the tall poppy syndrome. And when I see them, see them, I tweet it, which is how I wrote the book. Uh, that's how the mechanism of seeing it and get my feeling for what was happening in America. So the tweets are really very interesting. Um, And the blogs, I don't blog now, I just don't have, but there's really uh, good blogs. It's under Medium, which is Google's Medium site. Uh, And then Amazon is there. There's actually a very good entry-level Podcasts. I have a lot of podcasts, but the entry-level podcast is a whiteboard podcast. So that's the most popular Tall Poppy Syndrome podcast on YouTube. Not in numbers, but it comes up first because it's very visual and explains the syndrome a little differently. Kind of what we talked about versus what other people talk about. So that's kind of fun, and but you can just then go to Amazon and purchase the book. The audio is very very. The audio is very, very outstanding. I, the audio sometimes outsells the written version. The gentleman who did the, did the audio uh, did a wonderful job. But anyway, they're available on Amazon. And there's some, some thoughtful reviews on, on the book on Amazon if you have trouble deciding. It's kind of a hard read because it's semi academic. But if you can wait through it, I think you'll be a better person.
1: No, I agree 100%. So. Well, Doug, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for doing this with me.
2: My pleasure. Enjoyed meeting you and being on my program. Okay.
1: Folks, over and out. Be good to yourselves.